to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Are you super confused as to what kinds of oils and fats you should be cooking with and eating? You're hearing so many conflicting things on social media and on the internet. Well, I'm here to bring clarity to what can be a super confusing issue. Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show. I'm Dr. Patricia Mills, a medical doctor with a different spin on health. I'm a specialist in physical medicine rehabilitation, as uh, practicing functional medicine, And I am so looking forward to going deep on this topic with you. And what we're talking about here today are which are the best oils and fats to cook with and which should be avoided at all costs. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because first, let's talk about the importance of fats. Fats are super important in our health. And in fact, what the research is showing is that When you go on an ultra low fat diet uh, and researchers have done this where they take groups of people and they put them on, uh, you know, regular fat intake diet and then going to an ultra low fat diet because there has been some concerns since, uh, you know, about the middle of the last century raised about whether or not fat is contributing to things like heart disease. And a lot of research has been done since then because the initial research done on whether or not fat is good for you or bad for you had a lot of flaws. If that research were done now with how stringent it is for researchers to um, you know, conduct research and present their research, that research in the past would no longer be accepted as being good quality research. Uh, For example, the um, study done by Dr. Ansel Keys looking at different countries in the world and the association of heart disease and fat intake, basically he he had a bias that animal fat was bad for you, and he studied about 21 countries, but he only found support for his theory in seven countries. And so he only published the results of those seven countries, which means that all the other, the rest of the 21 countries did not have, had higher intakes of fat, but did not have higher rates of um, things like heart disease and stroke. So that was an extremely biased research presentation, but it was, um, you know, the what was quoted in the media and eventually became popular dogma even in places like medical schools and so there's been a lot of research done since then to try to figure out was that you know were those findings correct also that was observational data so that was looking at you know people reporting how much they were eating and then looking at you know the diagnosed rates of Uh, heart attacks and strokes uh, that were reported to 
uh, authorities and looking at that correlation. So even that is not a very good quality uh, study in the sense of drawing big conclusions about whether or not fat is good or bad for you. And as I mentioned at the beginning is that when they have been doing studies on people going on uh, very low fat diets, which was the recommendation and and still continues to be um, you know, that traditional Western medicine recommendation, what they find is too low fat diets actually increase your risk of death from all causes. So uh, any cause, co- you know, you, your risk of dying increases like from stroke, from um, heart attacks, everything. And why is that? Well, one of the reasons could be because if you take a step back and look at what is the role of fat in our body, well, your brain is 60% fat. Your nerves, which conduct information to and from your brain to all the other areas of your body, are, are surrounded by fat. They're, um, they're insulated by fat. And in fact, multiple sclerosis is a disease that happens as a result of that fatty layer being eroded. So it's very important. Hormones, our sex hormones, are made uh, from fat as, a, as one of the building blocks. Cell membranes, every single um, membrane of your cell. So your body is made up of multiple cells and the lining of those cells are made of fat. So basically you need fat to to build your body. So going on an ultra uh, ultra low fat diet, although it was a recommendation over the past few decades, is now showing to be not the way to go. So how much fat should we be ingesting? First of all, what, uh, you know, you can look at this from many different ways, but I think the very best way to look at this is from more robust population studies like the Mediterranean diet. So everyone pretty much agrees that a Mediterranean diet is a pretty good way to go. Is it the best way to go? We don't know. Maybe a modified Mediterranean diet is the way to go, but just looking at the Mediterranean regions where generally speaking, Research has shown that that diet improves everything from depression to heart disease, risks of stroke, cancer, all those things, right? So we're pretty safe if we look at that data. And uh, if you look at how much energy a person takes in in the day on a Mediterranean diet, about 40% of that energy comes from fat. Now, that doesn't mean the total content. Like if I were to look at my plate, maybe the total content of my Mediterranean diet plate, about 80% of the content is vegetables, okay? And let's say about 10% is some kind of protein source like meat, uh, poultry, or fish, or dairy. And the other 10% would be cereals, right? Like whole wheat, uh, like uh, rice, or pasta, or bread. And then you would drizzle olive oil on there, for example, with a Mediterranean diet. And if I were to add up, so the content of the olive oil isn't as much as the content of the vegetables, but because olive oil has a lot of energy, if I add up the fat, uh, the energy from the fat from the, you know, the meat and the olive oil, that total energy of the plate is 40% from, um, from the fat. But the total content mostly is still vegetables. The Mediterranean diet is a very um, plant-rich diet. So more from um, plants, more content from plants than from, you know, animal sources. But the 
energy content, the calorie content, 40% comes from fat. So the, the main point here is that the Mediterranean diet, people on the Mediterranean diet do eat fat. And they look at it uh, when they look at the quantity, it's about 80 to 110 grams of fat per day. And on average, um, you know, when they looked at how much olive oil, it's about four tablespoons of olive oil a day, which is probably a lot more than most of uh, most people are getting in their diet because especially the older generation, because they were made to, to unfortunately, they became so afraid of fat because of that unfortunate bias in the research that, you know, fat is bad for you, we should decrease fat. Um, basically, you shouldn't have too much, and you shouldn't have too little, you want to stay in that Goldilocks zone. And then the question becomes, what kind of fat do you want to have? So in the Mediterranean diet, the primary sources of fat are olive oil, dairy, poultry, meat, fish, nuts and seeds as well. However, there's many other oils on the market like coconut oil, avocado oil, grapeseed oil, hemp seed oil, flaxseed, walnut, ghee, hyolaic, sunflower. So then it becomes a question, well, what, what should we use? What is best? There's been a lot of controversy on the smoke point, for example, you know, olive oil having a lower smoke point than vegetable seed oils like canola oil. And we're going to get into that because there's been a lot of misinformation that I think has been leading us down the wrong road when it comes to the oil selection. And if you're joining me live today, please put in your name and where you're joining me from uh, into the comments. I'd love to say hi. And uh, if you have a question, please put them into the comments as well. So thank you for joining me uh, from inside my private and free Facebook group for women called Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. Thank you for joining. So I have here, there's different ways to categorize fats and discuss what are the pros and cons of each fat. And so we're going to go through all of these because, um, you know, sometimes when you look at one category, a fat appears to be good. And then you look at the next category and that fat ends up being not so great. And as we go through the categories, we're going to be building on our knowledge and figuring out which are the good and the bad fats that we want to eat and that we want to cook with. So the first category is is the fat solid versus liquid at room temperature, okay? And so solid fats at room temperature are things like lard from animal fat, uh, butter, coconut oil. And those are predominantly solid at room temperature because they have higher amounts of longer chain saturated fatty acids. Saturated fats means that if you look at the um, chemical composition of it, between each carbon chain, there's only one um, bond. So they're like one hand is holding the other hand. Okay, so there's only one hand holding the other hand. There's only one bond. There's you 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 don't have any extra hands there that could detach and hold on to anything else. It's saturated. It's fully all of the bonds have been fully used, and they're just holding on to each other. And the longer the chain of like of carbons, the more uh, stable and more solid that is at room temperature. And then there's the margarines of the world, which are uh, have higher amounts of not natural trans fatty acids. So trans fatty acids 
um, that are synthetic that were, have been created to make margarine. Basically, it's a chemical reaction that, um, uh, so they take, they start off with something like um, an oil that's been made from a vegetable seed, like a rape seed or sunflower seed or safflower seed. And it undergoes this chemical reaction um, that is caused by the scientist that's making the margarine. And it creates this um, synthetic, so chemically created trans fatty acid. And, the, and there's actually not a very few steps difference in chemistry between margarine and plastic. So, you know, it's kind of crazy, actually. The, the history of margarine is that when Napoleon was, um, you know, marching in war, butter was going, you know, they, the soldiers were so far from home that their, their source of fat, because every single culture in the history of the world has prioritized the uh, acquirement and um, storage of fat. So, you know, in um, I, uh, Pacific Island countries, they'll, they'll fish in the deep sea for, um, you know, fish and, um, you know, uh, whales and those sorts of things for their fat, because that fat is used for diet, it's used for um, multiple, uh, like making lamp oils and all those things. It's been very prioritized. And so the soldiers would go off with their source of fat, which was butter, which is one of the more stable fats that goes rancid less quickly. However, it would still potentially go rancid by the time they had been out there for a long time. So Napoleon said, you know, I would like someone to create something like butter, but that will be more stable and be less, go less rancid over time. Uh, and also easier to source because butter is, comes from cows, is, you know, it's harder to source during wartime. If we can make this chemically wouldn't that be better? So they created, uh, so they were doing all these um, studies and the one difference, if they did, a, I think it was if they added nickel, a nickel catalyst at one point in time, um, it would be, mean the difference between making plastic versus making margarine. So eating margarine is unfortunately kind of very similar to eating plastic. Um, they, when they looked at all of like the little components of margarine and what came out of that, they said, oh, look at that. There's, you know, a pretty healthy profile of fats. But what they found was that they, when they fed it to animals and humans and they did research on this, um, the consumption of that, of uh, margarine high in trans fatty acids caused inflammation in the body. And it did cause an unwanted effects on cholesterol and the bad cholesterol would go up and the good cholesterol levels would go down. So if you're eating margarine still, stop now. That was unfor an unfortunate recommendation in the history of modern man. Um, it, it's not something that we should be eating for our health. So uh, just stop eating margarine. It's actually healthier for your fat and cholesterol profile to eat something like butter. But we're going to get into what are actually the healthier fats to eat. So the thing about, um, we're going to get into how much of these saturated fats like lard, butter, and coconut oil should you be eating. And the thing about coconut oil is that there's been some pretty good research showing that there's some great health benefits with coconut oil. Um, so that is something to take into consideration. Now, liquid oils, they are, uh, you can, they are either the shorter chain um, uh, saturated fatty acids. So um, for example, uh, medium chain triglycerides or MCT oil comes from coconuts, um, and the 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 uh, coconut itself has 
um, a lot of saturated fat in it because that, at coconut oil is generally um, solid at room temperature. But if you take out the shorter chain fatty, short fat, uh, saturated fatty acids, um, so they're not as long as the ones that are solid at room temperature. They're shorter. They're more liquid. So medium chain triglycerides or MCT oil is liquid at room temperature for that reason because they took out the shorter chains. They they fractionated the oil out from the coconut separating the long chains from the shorter chains, the medium and short chains, and they took the medium chains and made it into MCT oil. Ghee is the same thing. It's, it's the liquid, um, uh, more liquid at room temperature types of oils from butter, still, still predominantly saturated fat, but more of the shorter chain. Also the same thing with palm oil. Then you have your polyunsaturated fatty acids, also liquid at room temperature. And those are uh, sources of that uh, are, and what is a polyunsaturated fatty acid? Well, if I remember how the saturated ones where there's only one, you know, a hand holding a hand in between the two carbon chains. Well, uh, unsaturated means that there's two hands holding each other. So they're not fully saturated, they're unsaturated. So if another um, molecule were to come along, like an oxygen molecule, for example, or a hydrogen molecule, they could release one of their bonds and attach, and then they become more saturated. So, and poly means that at various points in times along that carbon chain, there's the two bonds. And what that basically means, having those two bonds, they make they make them more flexible. That's why they're liquid at room temperature, whereas saturated fatty acids, they're more uh, stiff. That's why they're solid at room temperature. So coconut oil, butter and lard, solid at room temperature, they're saturated. Um, things like fish oil, algae oil, sunflower, corn, soybean, grapeseed, flaxseed, hempseed, walnut, they have multiple um, unsaturated bonds. So they're more flexible uh, at uh, room temperature, they're liquid at room temperature. And then there's the monounsaturated fatty acids where there's just Along that carbon chain, there's just one point where there's the two bonds, okay? There's one point of unsaturation, and that's your olive oil, your avocado oil, and your canola oil. So um, oleic acid is the predominant monounsaturated fatty acid. And so olive oil, for example, has about 83% of uh, oleic acid. Avocado oil has slightly less and canola oil has slightly less, but they're the ones that are higher in that kind of oil. And as we know, oleic acid from olive oil is very healthy. That's one of the, there's many other factors in olive oil that make it healthy, like flavonoids and phenolic acids and all the antioxidants. But in terms of the fat profile, um, it's the monounsaturated fatty acid, oleic acid, in olive oil that, that really conveys its benefits. So one of the advantages also of avocado oil and canola oil. So when we're looking at this category, um, those are all the liquid oils. So we're just looking at solid versus fats. Sesame oil um, is interesting because it's they has it has the same amount of poly and mono unsaturated fatty acids and palm oil. Um, basically has, sorry, it should say the same amount of saturated fatty acid compared to the mono and polyunsaturated fatty acids. So they're kind of like more equal amounts of the different kinds of fatty acids. And the question then becomes, well, how much of the liquid oil versus the solid oil should I be taking in my diet? So, you know, some people 
um, they're really pro saturated fats. Like they kind of gone on the other end of the spectrum where, where one end of the, like we, we went too far in the direction of saying that fat is bad for you. And that fat like butter and lard is bad for you. Like we went too far down that road because those fats are good for you in small amounts. They are used by your body to build things like your hormones, right? Um, however, too much saturated fatty acids could also be a problem, like too much butter, too much lard. And looking at the Mediterranean diet, what they found was that the ratio of the liquid oil to the solid oil was about two to one. So they were eating double the liquid oil, like olive oil, compared to the saturated fatty acid solid oil, like butter, like lard. So while both are healthy, the ratio of more liquid oil to solid oil is, according to the Mediterranean diet anyways, a good one, a good thing to have, okay? So, and what's, uh, they, the, when they broke down that liquid oil, it's slightly more monounsaturated fatty acids, so for example, olive oil, than it is the polyunsaturated fatty acids, for example, fish. In the Mediterranean diet, they do not eat vegetable seed oils like canola oil, sunflower oil, sunflower oil, uh, uh, corn oil, soybean oil. Why? Because those things have only recently been invented. And we're going to get into why. It's because it requires a lot of processing to get those oils out of those seeds. Okay, And we're going to get into that. So remember, the Mediterranean diet they, they don't have vegetable seed oil. So all of the benefits of the Mediterranean diet are not as a result of consuming vegetable seed oils at all. And we're going to get into that in a little bit more detail. So we've already established that it's better to have slight, uh, about double the amount of liquid oil than solid oil. Okay, And the liquid oil that you probably should be having in terms of Mediterranean diet would be more of like the olive oils and the fish oils. And in terms of the, um, you know, the, the solid would be the butter and the coconut oil. They, they did not have margarine. And remember, I went over the fact that margarine um, in research has a lot of trans fatty acids, which is really bad for inflammation in your body. Now we're going to look into the um, omega-6 to omega-3 ratios, because that's really popular these days. You might have heard of that. That's from the polyunsaturated fatty acids like the fish oils. And interestingly, the vegetable seed oils. And the reason we want to talk about vegetable seed oils is because it vegetable seed oils are the oils that are currently being used to cook in almost every single restaurant. So when you go out to eat, you're eating a lot of vegetable seed oil. And it's what's predominantly used in processed foods, even the ones that say that they're healthy and organic and natural, they contain vegetable seed oil. So we need to find out, are vegetable seed oils safe and healthy to eat? Because it is rampant, like uh, it, your chances are you're eating a lot of it and you don't even know it. Okay, so when we talk about omega-6s and omega-3s, what we need to know is that historically in like the paleo era or the caveman era or before the, before vegetable seed oils were invented, were created, okay, the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 was about one to one 
or or at most four to one. So omega-6 fatty acids and omega-3 fatty acids are essential fatty acids. We need to get them from our diet. The omega-6 fatty acids are important for the process of, of creating inflammation. And actually, in your body, you do need to be able to create inflammation. For example, if you have an injury, if you have a cut, if you can't create inflammation, it's hard for it to heal because the inflammation calls the immune system to that area. But the, the argument of having too much omega-6 is that you could have too much inflammation. You have many, many, many building blocks for inflammation, and that could potentially cause more inflammation in the body. And we're going to get into whether or not that is true. The omega-3s, on the other hand, and you know, people are supplementing with omega-3s like the EPA and the DHA from fish oils or algae oil. Those are the predominant oils present uh, in larger amounts uh, on the cell membrane. So, you know, our, our cells, which make up every piece of our body, they're um, lined by the cell membrane and the cell membrane is like a, a layer of fat, okay? And that, that layer of fat is predominantly made up of uh, omega-3s, more omega-3s than omega-6s. So the ratio in that fatty membrane is more omega-3 to omega-6. And the concern is that as we eat more omega-6 uh, high-content oils, we increase our omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. And what's, what's really fascinating is that they actually can measure that in, in humans and in people eating the standard North American diet, their ratio went from a healthy 1 to 1 or 4 to 1 to an intake of 25 omega-6 to one omega-3. So the ratio went from like a four to one to a 25 to one at times between 20 and 25. That is massive. And that's as a result of cooking with vegetable seed oils, like canola oil, uh, not canola, oil, sorry, like uh, safflower oil, sunflower oil, soybean oil, corn oil. Why was this switch made? from things like olive oil, sesame seed oil, which were the more historic, uh, you know, lard. These were the more historically used oils. The switch was made because it's cheaper to make. It's about 25 cents less per plate that's cooked at a restaurant. So they, they, they do it cheaper. And then there was a lot of hype about the smoke point, which I'm going to get into. And just spoiler alert, the smoke point is not um, like not important in my in my books. Okay. So we're gonna get into why I say why I think that and what actually is important when it comes to cooking oils. Now you could say, well, is that even like matter having more omega-6 to omega-3? Is that really a problem? Well, research is showing that when they look at people and they, they examine their chemistry. And they look at the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3s in their bodies, like in their cell membranes, the higher omega-6 ratio, you the higher risk of breast cancer. I mean, that's that's pretty big, right? I would say. Like I, I would personally not want to increase my risk of breast cancer, right? And the higher omega-6 ratio. The to omega six to omega three, the higher the risk of obesity. 
So that is like a real population outcome because there's a lot of research done, you know, in the cells, like, is there more inflammation, but does it actually translate to a change in your health? And the answer is yes, it does. So you want to keep your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio intake more towards the four to one than the higher, you know, going up towards the 25 to one. Now, when we, when we're talking about this particular um, topic, we're not going to be really looking into avocado oil or olive oil, coconut and sesame oil, because they don't have a lot of, um, sorry, they're mostly monounsaturated fatty acids, not polyunsaturated fatty acids. So they don't have, they're not a big source of polyunsaturated fatty acids. Meat also not a big source of um, omega-3s and omega-6s. Although what's interesting is research shows that if you eat a grass-fed and finished meat, so an animal that was raised outside all the time and not put into a feedlot at the end of its lifespan to fatten up on grains, which are not its normal diet, the omega-6 to 3 ratio is 3 to 1, which is a really good healthy ratio. Conventional meat, where they take that uh, animal out of the pasture and in the last around six weeks of life, put it into a feedlot, very confined and force them to eat grains, which are not part of part of their normal diet, their omega-6 to omega-3 ratio goes up to 20 to 1. So from a health, uh, from a fat perspective, there's some evidence that would suggest a grass-finished um, meat which is, is better than a non-grass-finished meat. Every meat is grass-fed. What you're looking for, are they finished on grass? Are they finished in the pasture and not in the grain feedlot? Now let's look at oils that are high in polyunsaturated fatty acids and have good ratios of omega-6s to 3s, okay? So fish oil has a ratio of 4 to 1. That's great. Algae oil also around 4 to 1. The fish eat the algae, and that's where they get their uh, omega-3s and 6s from. Walnut oil is 4 to 1. Canola oil is 2 to 1. Hemp seed oil is 3 to 1. And flaxseed oil is 0 0.3 to 1. So those, in, when you're looking at that specific um, category of like, you know, oils, that's good ratios. Not good ratios of omega-6 to 3 are grapeseed oil. And this is fascinating to me because I don't know where grapeseed oil became or when or why grapeseed oil became um, popular to cook with. But from a omega-6 to omega-3 health perspective, it is not good. It is the highest amount, uh, highest ratio of omega-6 to omega-3. Safflower is 133 to 1. Corn is 83 to 1. Palm oil is 45 to 1. Sunflower oil is 40 to 1. And soybean oil is 7 to 1. Now, what's interesting is that um, you know, there's this high oleic sunflower oil, right? And everyone's like, well, what about this high oleic sunflower oil? What that means, remember, oleic acid is the monounsaturated fatty acids. So the high oleic sunflower oil means that it has less omega-6, omega-3, more monounsaturated fatty acid like oleic acid. So its contribution to your diet of omega-6 to omega-3 ratio isn't as high. You're not as worried about the fact that the ratio uh, is a 40 to 1. But it has to be cold or cold pressed or expeller pressed, eaten fresh and eaten within about one month of being made in order for it to be truly a healthy option. We're going to get into why I am saying that. And that is because of the next category, which is ultra processed 
a refined oil versus minimally processed, otherwise known as cold pressed or expeller pressed oils. And this is where it starts getting very interesting. So ultra processed refined oils, these are oils that in order to get the oil out of the source, like the seed, um, that you have to use heat, you have to, um, which and the heat can actually um, damage the oil, that's the concern with heat. Then you use a hexane, which is a, not a good chemical, to pull the oil out of that product, and then you you do chemical processes to to alter the color. You decolorize it, and then you bleach it because otherwise it looks and it looks weird and smells funny. So why why do they even do this? Well, the vegetable seed oils. Okay, so let's get into this. Um, olive oil is a um, fruit, right? Olive is a fruit. Uh, avocado is a fruit. Coconut is a fruit. And the way that they take the oil out is they just squeeze it, okay? They just squeeze it and the oil comes out. It's, it's a very high content. The flesh of the fruit is, is high in oil. The vegetable seeds, like canola oil, is made from rapeseed oil, sunflower seed oil. These ones, they, they, are, they don't have um, a very high amount of oil in the seed. So in order to get oil from the seed, they have to chemically heat it, um, put hexane in it, and then the, the seed is, the oil is so fragile, it's so unstable that they have to chemically process it to make it a little bit more stable so it doesn't go rancid right away. And the color looks a bit weird and it smells a bit weird, so they have to decolorize it and bleach it. Why do they even do this? Well, one of the reasons they even thought about making oil from vegetable seeds is because there was so much of uh, waste in the in the industry of leftover seeds that were just going rancid in these warehouses. Literally, rapeseed oil was from cot like from cotton, for example, and they saw cotton seeds lying around the factory, and they're like, "Well, I wonder if we can use this in some way." They first started extracting oil from things like rapeseeds that now are being used to make canola oil because they were wondering if it would be a good lubricant for machines. You know, they're like, well, we've got all this leftover seeds. We don't really know. Like, it's such a waste. I wonder if we can, like, you know, do something with it. It's got a little bit of oil in it. Um, let's see if we can extract it. Um, and unlike sesame seed oil, which is naturally very oily, and again, sesame seed oil, you can just press it and the oil comes out. Um, these are not very high in oils, and, and they don't just come out with pressing easily. Um, and so they and and they wanted to make it easy and quick and cheap as a result. So they did all these chemical processes and they got this very, very ultra refined oils out of vegetable seeds because it's because vegetable seeds are like leftovers of uh, manufacturing. It's very cheap. And because they developed this very quick process of um, extracting the oil, it's very cheap compared to olives where you have to hand pick them and then manually press them right so it's more expensive to buy olive oil than it is to buy uh, vegetable seed oil however you can actually find ultra processed refined coconut oil and olive oil and avocado oil on the market because what using this um hexane solvent uh, process is faster and cheaper than cold pressing 
So there are some companies where they take these oils and 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 they just they do, they do the chemical process versus the mechanical healthier you know minimally processed option. So we're going to get into that difference because cold or expeller pressed oils. When you see that cold pressed oils, expeller pressed oils, it's mechanical compression only. They just squeeze the oil out. There's no chemicals. Uh, no chem you know nothing bad involved in that process at all so and the name will tell you sometimes like sometimes you you can't find on the label what which one it is so a virgin coconut oil is when they take the coconut flesh and press it squeeze it and the oil comes out regular coconut oil if it just says coconut oil they actually take um a different part it's like the kernel of the coconut so again the leftover part and they do the chemical heat a hexane uh, decolorizing and bleaching. So you do not want to buy coconut oil. You want to buy virgin coconut oil. And the same thing with olive oil. If you see a, a olive and it, all it says is olive oil, just stay away from that. That's the refined, heavily refined olive oil. You want extra virgin olive oil. And ideally, it should say cold pressed or expeller pressed. Okay. But generally speaking, usually if you see extra virgin olive oil, extra virgin means it was the first uh, pressed. Um, so extra virgin is the first time that they press the oil, they get the first oil out, then the virgin olive oil is the second time. So it's like not as much oil comes out. It's not as, you know, the, the, they, some people say it's not as fresh, right? And then you get the olive oil, which is then they run the solvent and they're trying to extract all the residual oil coming out of there. And that's the chemical process. So minimally processed oils are expeller pressed sesame oil, extra virgin olive oil, virgin coconut oil, ghee. Um, ghee is just heated. It's butter that's been heated and you remove the milk solids. And then if it says cold pressed or expeller pressed hemp, grapeseed, flaxseed oil, canola oil, those are um, minimally processed. They are not heavily refined. Whereas ultra processed or refined, it would be the olive, refined olive oil, refined coconut oil. There are some refined sesame seed oils, refined avocado oils, uh, refined canola oil, which is the typical oil that's being used. If, if they're cooking with it at a restaurant, I can guarantee you that they're using the ultra-processed refined version of the oil. The sunflower, even hemp seed, grape seed, flax seed, canola, you know, you just have to really look at the label and look at the, and really read everything to make sure you're not getting that ultra-processed oil. And, the, and then you might say, well, okay, so the canola oil, if I recall, had a pretty good omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. Remember, it was a two-to-one ratio. So that looked like it was pretty good. Um, however, the question of whether it's refined or cold press is important because there was actually a study done that the, the concern that people have with um, uh, oils being ultra-refined and uh, ultra-processed is that there, there might be chemicals in them or there might be consequences of it that cause inflammation in the body. And to be honest, people weren't sure if this was true or not, but this study that was done I, is very enlightening because, again, rather than just looking like, is there inflammation in the tissues and does that make a difference? They actually looked at a big picture outcome like cognition. Cognition is, is like uh, if you have decreased cognition, you have increased dementia, for example, in the elderly, right? So 
Cognition is brain function. So, you know, mild cognition issues would be some brain fog, and then you get worse would be memory issues, worse would be dementia, right? What they found was that they took a group of elderly, um, and I believe it was in a long-term care facility, if I'm not mistaken, and in every single long-term care facility that I've ever been to, in every hospital I've ever been to, um, and almost all restaurants with very few exceptions, they are using things like canola oil, corn oil, or soybean oil that are refined, very refined. In this study, they replaced, the only thing they did is they replaced the refined canola oil with extra virgin olive oil in these elderly's diets, and they measured them over time. And I believe it was three months. Uh, after three months, they found an improvement in cognition. Why would that be? Well, when you, uh, when you eat oil, your body's going to take that oil up and it's going to put it where it needs to build things that are made with oil in the body. Remember, the brain is 60% oil. Well, if you are building the brain with the kind of oil that supports its health, it's going to be healthy. If you are building the brain with the kind of oil that does not support its health, what you're going to notice is an uh, effect on your cognition, right? On your ability to think on your risk for problems with brain fog, memory, um, you know, having issues with dementia. So to me, this research was just like, that's it. Uh, you know, I am staying away from highly refined vegetable seed oils and sticking with extra virgin olive oil. And as a result, I rarely eat out. And if I do, um, I either just say, you know what, this is just like that occasional treat, or I call the restaurant in advance and I ask them, do you cook with olive oil or can you replace your vegetable seed oil with, with uh, something like animal lard? Um, you know, animal lard is uh, basically, it's just, they don't use chemical processes to take out the fat, just like they melt it out. Right. And it, and then it solidifies and they use it for cooking like duck fat. Right. Whereas these vegetable seed oils are very highly refined and with chemical processes and comparing a ultra refined source of a oil like canola oil that has a good omega-6 to omega-3 ratio um, to extra virgin olive oil that is not heavily refined, the, there was a change in cognition in these people. So it tells me that the refinement process is probably damaging to the oil and can negatively affect our health. So if you have any questions about that, please put it in because um, this is a really important take-home point. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, I would love for us to, as a society, recognize that it's worth the incremental cost, the increase in cost, like 25 cents a plate, to replace vegetable seed oils in places like hospitals and long-term care facilities at the very least, where these people are, you know, they're trying to get healthier and, you know, in the hospital or they're staying there for very long periods of time until the point when they pass away in the long-term care facility where we are giving them the kinds of oils that support their optimal outcomes and their optimal health. So this is going to be one of my missions is to try to institute this change. Um, and I would really, it'd be amazing if this could, this could happen uh, in restaurants. It's a different issue. I think it's harder to um, do that, but in places like long-term care facilities and hospitals, like nursing homes and hospitals, I feel like this should be, this should just be done. Right. Cause these are, these are, vulnerable populations that don't have a choice when they're in that situation. Okay, 
The next category is storage stability. And when we look at stability, what we mean is when does it start to reach its oxidation point when the oil reacts with oxygen and turns rancid? So more stable oils, you know, that, that if you leave them on the counter, um, the ones that will um, be more stable are the solid oils, like the lard and the butter and the coconut oil. Why? Because they're saturated. They don't have that extra bond that can break off and join oxygen and become oxidized, right? So they're more stable. Less stable are the liquid oils because they've got the poly and mono and saturated fatty acid. They ha either have one or multiple double, double bonds that could break open and hold on to the, that oxygen and become oxidized. And oxidized um, fat is like rancid fat. When we say fat has gone rancid, it's oxidized. So what's interesting is if we then look at the liquid oils, because then you're saying, well, they're in the Mediterranean diet, they're eating two times more liquid oil compared to solid oil. Um, of the liquid oils, which ones would be the most stable? The least stable are actually the vegetable seed oils from this perspective, from a storage perspective. And grape seed oil was the least of all. We start noticing some oxidation happening within even five hours. Um, within 12 months, all vegetable seed oils, corn, sunflower, safflower, uh, soybean, they all were 30% oxida uh, oxidated within 12 months. The more stable liquid oils are olive oil, um, sesame seed oil, and if it's roasted, it's slightly more stable than if it's not. Um, uh, avocado oil, uh, and uh, they, these will be primarily unoxidized, unoxidated for about 210 days um, at about 25 degrees Celsius storage temperature. So, um, you know, to keep your oils from oxidizing, what you want to do is you want to store them in dark, cool temperatures. Okay, that's the storage. And in amber, like a really good olive oil will come in an amber um, glass so that the um, the oil doesn't, um, so that the oil is less exposed to uh, sunlight, which also can oxidize, cause oxidation uh, of the oil. The, on the topic of glass, of, con of container storage, which I don't even have here as a category, but I just, because I mentioned it, I should say it, um, plastic leaches into oil. So do not buy oil in plastic containers. You know, I've seen people who have bought like, you know, extra organic, extra virgin olive oil or extra virgin olive oil that's not organic, um, which is better than regular olive oil, but they buy them in these plastic containers. And the thing is, you don't know how long it's been sitting there for. If they just made the olive oil, just poured it into the plastic container and then you use it, probably not a lot of plastic has leached into the oil. But if it's been sitting there for any reasonable amount of time, and probably by the time you bought it, it's been sitting there for a, a, at least a little while, the oil is leaching into the, the plastic is leaching into the oil. So don't buy those. And unfortunately, in like the large chains like Costco, places of the world, that's where they, they store them in plastic because they're easier to transport, but they're not better for your health. So invest in the glass amber bottles. That's another key tip. Now we're going to get into the cooking stability. And this is important. This category is important because this is where I think a lot of misinformation came out in terms of like, oh, we shouldn't cook with olive oil. We should be cooking with um, avocado oil instead or coconut oil instead or vegetable seed oils instead like canola oil. 
and this is where the I think yeah, a lot of confusion came up is because people were talking about the smoke point when actually, in my opinion, and based on what I've seen in the research, we should have been talking about oxidative stability. So the smoke point is the temperature at which the fats begin to break down and turn into smoke. The oxidative stability is how resistant the fats are to reacting with oxygen and becoming rancid. And um, just so you know, it is like in the research, I couldn't really find anything that would show me that eating a food, an oil that um, began to break down and turn into smoke would be necessarily bad for you. And what I found was the oxidative stability was how oxidized the fat became was a better determinant of whether or not that oil was healthy for you. So if we look at oxidative stability under cooking, and actually there was this very interesting study that compared olive oil to vegetable seed oils during deep frying. So the highest temperature you could possibly submit um, uh, food to cooking, right, would be deep frying. And what they found was that the olive oil was way more stable than vegetable seed oil, including the corn oils and soybean oils and, and canola oils. It was, it was way more stable. And actually, you could even deep fry with the same oil three times before it became significantly oxidized, whereas with the vegetable seed oil, even one time you, got, you reached that oxidation point. So the unstable cooking oils are the vegetable seed oils, the refined, uh, and actually even the cold pressed, um, expeller pressed um, canola oil, grapeseed oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, soybean oil. These are not stable with cooking. Grapeseed oil, I'm going to say this again because some people really think grapeseed oil is, is the best option. It is not stable for cooking when you look at the oxidation stability, the oxidation point. Interestingly, there was a study that's, that compared expeller-pressed canola oil. So they took the rapeseed and they squeezed it out, right, which is, takes longer is more expensive to do. And they compared it to the refined canola oil, which is the heat, the hexane, decolorizing the beet and the bleaching. And the expeller-pressed canola oil was more stable than the refined canola oil. It had a lower oxidation. It had a better oxidation point. So that was interesting. But the olive oil is still more stable than the expeller pressed canola oil. The, the, you know, and the study was done on um, expeller cold pressed olive oil. Now, this next category is should you buy organic oil versus not? And this is very fascinating. So a lot of the toxins are in, in our environment accumulate in oil, in fat. And it accumulate in plant oil and animal oil. And when you as a human eat that plant or animal, you take that, um, those toxins in those fats and incorporate them into your body. And there's some research to suggest that when the body at the cellular level sees these fats that have toxins in them, um, and that, that, that toxin, that toxic fat is incorporated into the cell, like remember, it uses fat to make the cells that cell could undergo death, cell apoptosis, it's called cell death. So when I saw this research, I made a very conscious decision that I was only going to buy organic oils, that when it came to organic versus not organic, 
buying organic oils, including organic olive oil. So the organic cold pressed extra virgin olive oil for me is better than the non-organic cold pressed extra virgin olive oil. The thing to know, though, is that in certain countries like um, Italy, for example, it may not be um, certified organic, but they have organic um, uh, principles of farming. So they don't spray with pesticides. So, you you know, when you see like a Italy origin, like a stamp saying this is uh, Italy origin, um, you know, raised in Italy, for example, like generally speaking, Italians don't use a lot of pesticides that could change over time in which case then you might have to reassess it but i do sometimes buy cold pressed extra virgin olive oil from italy that doesn't have the label organic um but i'll look into the farm that it came from and if it looks like they're using organic principles i'll buy that oil and it's great because sometimes it's cheaper because it just doesn't have that label organic but it doesn't have the pesticides because it's not their practice to spray so that's another um, you know, example of whether or not to buy, um, looking for organic versus not organic and some subtleties when you're purchasing your oils. Okay, and then the next category, which is uh, nutrient content. So for example, grapeseed oil, and I'm, I'm kind of picking on grapeseed oil a little bit because again, a lot of people are thinking that it's healthy. When you look at the amount of phenolic compounds and antioxidant strength, so the ability of these um, oils to support your health and to you know, combat internal body inflammation, um, olive oil and sesame oil have higher levels of phenolic compounds and antioxidant strength, com strength compared to grapeseed oil. And remember, they have more oxidative stability, both um, storing on the shelf and with cooking than grapeseed oil. So you know, just stick with your olive oil. Sesame seed oil, it, uh, olive oil is like the typical cooking oil in Mediterranean. Sesame seed oil, the cold pressed sesame seed oil, and again, organic because um, they didn't have not organic in the old days, is the traditional um, cooking oil from Asian countries. So that, and ghee and butter are, were the traditional, but primarily ghee is a traditional cooking oil in India. Right. So these are all minimally processed oils, historically organic until the advent of pesticides. Right. And those are the oils that were generally associated with, um, you know, that, that that were not associated with the modern chronic disease that we're seeing these days with the increase in breast cancer, increase in obesity, increase in inflammatory autoimmune conditions, all of these things. Right. So sticking with the time tested and, and true organic cold pressed. Um, olive oil, sesame seed oil, sesame oil is better than the new on the market kind of relatively newer vegetable seed oils, including grapeseed oil. So I'm going to summarize this because it's the devil's in the details here. So what oil would I cook with? I personally, again, I choose organic, but you know, if even if you just go to the extra virgin cold pressed olive oil, the um, cold pressed sesame oil, cold pressed avocado oil, and remember. In lower amounts, the, the, two, the two times more of these compared to the solid ones in the Mediterranean diet, in less amounts relative to the liquid at room temperature, the solid at room temperature oils like coconut oil, lard, butter, and ghee, those ones would be at in, uh, and also they have more saturated fat 
um, and you want to have a little bit more of the mono and saturated uh, fat compared to the saturated fat. Remember that ratio that's been shown to be healthy in the Mediterranean diet. So just cooking, um, you using them to cook, but not using them as much as something like olive oil. Okay. Um, the thing about coconut oil is that there's some evidence that people who are predisposed for Alzheimer's, they have this genetic a modific uh, they have this gen this gene called the ApoE4 gene, and people who are at more risk of Alzheimer's have two copies, one from the mom and one from the dad of ApoE4. If you have one from one of the parents and you have an, an, a non-ApoE4, then you're at lower risk, but still higher than someone who has no ApoE4 genes. There's some debate as to whether or not these people do worse with saturated fat, right? And so because ApoE4, one of its roles is to is in the storage and processing of saturated fats. So in those people, until we understand the situation better, you should probably not have a lot of coconut oil, lard or butter, keeping those amounts lower and more prioritizing the liquid oils um, that are heat stable, storage stable, good omega three to omega six ratios, you know, like the extra virgin cold pressed olive oil, sesame oil, and avocado oil. Then there are some oils that um, you, when you look at, okay, those are the cooking oils, but what about the oils I can eat fresh without cooking? That Then your um, menu expands. So that would be an organic expeller pressed even a canola oil, actually, you know, as long as it hasn't been deodorized and bleached and all those kinds of things and, and not cooked with, that could be in small amounts. Um, okay, hemp seed oil, flaxseed oil, walnut oil, fish and algae oil. So those you want to eat fresh and you want to eat them um, very early in the process uh, which they've been manufactured. If, if, if you don't know when they were made, um, they could have been sitting on the shelf for years and they would be very rancid. So unless you're extremely sure of the source of your organic cold-pressed canola, hemp, flaxseed oil, walnut oil, or fish and algae oil, I would just, I would not eat, buy those, okay? Which is why when you're next, next uh, episode, we're going to be talking about, you know, omega-3 and omega-6 supplementation. Um, you know, choosing to use fish oil versus like a, a, a pill or a capsule, sometimes the consideration is um, how rancid are they? How long have they been on the shelf? How stable they are? And then the best to avoid oils are all refined vegetable seed oils, which means that, um, you know, I don't eat out at restaurants any more than maybe once a week when I'm in my regular routine, sometimes no times a week. If I'm traveling, I'll eat out more. And uh, I really try my best to choose foods that either don't have oils in them, like, um, you know, um, sushi, for example. Or if I go to an Asian restaurant and they're sauteing their food, by the way, most Asian restaurants are not using sesame seed oil to saute, like their dumplings or the vegetables, they're using corn oil or soybean oil. I'll ask that restaurant if they can use sesame seed oil instead. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no. And I now I know, like if I go to a place often, I know which restaurants are like that. Some Italian restaurants, like more high end, they only cook with lard and olive oil. And, you know, I'll ask them too, like, what are you using for your cooking? And there's some excellent restaurants out there 
um, that are only using those oils for cooking. And so I try to stick with those oils, but generally speaking, that's not what's being used. Same thing for ultra processed foods. So like your chips and your crackers, look at your pasta sauces. You'd be surprised. Almost all pasta sauces have these refined vegetable seed oils. You know, it's, it's just, uh, and seaweed snacks. There's one seaweed snack on the market that I found called Sea Snacks, S-N-A-X. That's made with olive oil. The rest is sunflower oil, safflower oil. So just start to read the ingredient list of the things that you have in your cupboard. Just go to your cupboard if you can, by the end of today, if you can, and just start looking at the ingredient list. And when you start to see these vegetable seed oils, even just separating them you know, uh, into a different part of your shelf and trying to minimize the use of those, If you even throwing them out if you feel comfortable with that. And then there are pasta sauces that use olive oil or extra virgin olive oil, ideally, right? Um, so it's just a matter of finding the ones that have um, those oils and sticking with it. Now, if it's an occasional food you eat every now and then, it's not such a big deal. It's about getting the daily things right. And so that's what you want to do, okay? What you also want to do is you want to avoid margarine and other vegetable seed oil spreads. I'm seeing this now on the market in places like Whole Foods where there's this, you know, vegetable oil spread and it's plant-based and they're using it to replace butter. And you know what? It just Personally, based on everything that I've taught you here today, based on the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, the stability, um, the refinement that goes into making something like that, like taking a vegetable seed oil and turning it into liquid and then turning into a solid, stay away from those things, okay? And they're often more expensive too. So you're paying more money thinking you're doing something good for your health. And in the end, it's actually harming you. And it's like, what? I'm paying more money to get more sick? This sucks, right? So I hope that this brought clarity to what is a very complicated discussion. There's lots of different oils out there that I haven't even touched on, like camellia oil and you know, black cumin seed oil that it just gets a bit too complicated. I just wanted to get you some very high level, what you should cook with, some things you can add fresh to like a salad, for example, without cooking, and what you should definitely avoid. And as the research comes in on other oils, I can update this. But for now, I think this is a really good general span um, of what is going on out there. And so what I'm going to say is thank you so much for joining me today. If you found this helpful and you're watching this, please save, share, and subscribe. Sharing is caring. I look forward to seeing you at the next episode of the Wild Wisdom Show, which will be next week. We're going to be diving deep into supplementation uh, with omega-3s and omega-6s and, and foods that you can find these in. And we're going to get nitty-gritty on that detail because there's a lot of interesting research on that that I want to get into that I didn't cover today. So thank you so much for joining and I'll see you next week. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, evening or night, depending on when you catch this. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. 
Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. Thank you.